This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 43 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm here, Sam Marks. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to this week's show. This week, we have on Kendall Davis, the director of investments for a follow-up episode with Fundrise. Johnny, what do you think? I'm excited because Fundrise has been one of those kind of real estate plays that I've been really interested in. So we've both invested in it, uh, in it before. We've actually had the CEO on a previous episode. So if you guys haven't heard that, you guys can go back to... What episode was that, Sam? Episode 13. Episode 13. I take a listen because that was actually one of the kind of pivotal moments of my kind of getting into a real estate investing career. Yeah, yeah. Well said. That was one of our first, I would say, showcase episodes that we had on. And definitely, like you said, good word, pivotal moments in my investing life. And um, yeah, and we both we both invested at that point. And I think we've continued to invest in that. But let's, we'll talk about more of that in the outro. Uh, so I guess that covers the disclosure, Johnny. I both have invested in Fundrise. And um, they have some big new news coming out. Did you hear? Tell me about it. Well, they... I was a little confused about this, but basically they have an IPO and we're going to drill Kendall on that and what it means for investors and what it means for their company. Okay. Yeah, I'm excited for that. And also, I hope you ask her a ton of questions about just investing more because I've actually been really interested in Fundrise because I want to own apartment buildings. That's kind of been my big goal for a long time with investing, but I don't want to manage it. I don't even want to deal with a manager. So it seems like this is the best bet, but... I've had I have so many questions about actually investing and putting more money in because I've only been able to put a few thousand dollars in. So that I'm super curious about. And I'm sure a lot of listeners are as well. Yeah, lots of questions. And I've been very happy with this investment, but I, I think maybe more than any other investment that we've made in the last year, I probably have the most questions about Fundrise just because it's that new, that modern kind of alternative type of investing, something that they've really innovated on their e-REIT. So, man, there's lots of questions. I know listeners have a lot of questions. They've been submitting them for the last couple of months. So uh, we're going to we're gonna do a deep dive. And who better than the director of investments, Kendall Davis. So let's have her on the show. Okay, guys, we're back. Kendall, welcome to the show. Sam, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's great to chat again. I, you know, I called you guys about five months ago when I was thinking and ended up investing more money into some of your funds and had just a bunch of questions I wanted to get answered. I thought it would be easier just to call you guys than to do it uh, over email. And, I, and after we talked, I was like, damn, that would have been awesome to share with the listeners because it was just so much information every you know, every question I had answered and I came out of it like, okay, yeah, I definitely know which funds I'm going to invest in. So I think this will be really cool because I'm back in the same position of wanting to invest more money into some of the funds, have a lot of the same questions, some new ones. So uh, I think it's awesome that you've agreed to come on and allow us to share, you know, the, the Q&A and, uh, and all the information with our listeners. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what we're here for. We we really like uh, having as much transparency as humanly possible. So um, happy to answer any questions. Cool. And just as a little bit of background, where are you based and what's your your title or role in Fundrise? Yes, yeah, so we're in Washington, D.C. in DuPont Circle, and I am the director of investments. So I head up our investments team and have been here for uh, going on three years this spring. Um, so I've led the investments team and um, really just seen enormous growth in the business since I joined in 2014. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. And for all the listeners out there, if you haven't heard the previous episode with Ben Miller, CEO, we talk a lot more about just what Fundrise is, how it got started and a lot of those goodies. So be sure to listen to that episode as well. And this episode, we're just going to kind of talk about a lot of the, you know, the, the investment style questions that 
you may have, especially I have, uh, in this episode, I'm really just scratching my own itch. Um, so we're going to share all that information. And Kendo, I guess to start, you know, we get some really good communications from Fundrise as investors. So I'm personally invested in the growth REIT and the mm-hmm. income REIT. And I love getting the updates because I find I, I learned so much about just the category and real estate investing as a whole, just by reading the regular updates. And of course, you guys just published a really fantastic kind of 2016 recap of the growth fund, which I thought was was really well put together. Um, and I, one specific question I had. So the growth REIT just announced that they had fully paid off the 41 unit multifamily property in Denver, which is a really cool property, but I didn't actually know what that meant. Does that is that somehow mean that we fully own it or we paid off, you know, part of the mortgage? What what does that actually mean for the the fund and us as investors? Yeah, that's a great question. And what that means is that in uh, this particular investment was preferred equity. So, mm-hmm. you know, I should back up and say that the growth rate is focused on as its name implies growth. So, typically that means common equity or preferred equity. And preferred equity is sort of the mezzanine position. So you're not in a first priority where you would be in sort of a senior debt position. It's more of a second priority with Mm -hmm. equity being the last. So, you know, if you want to think about sort of the cash flow stream, uh, debt gets paid back first, then mezzanine, then equity. So the growth REIT had it made an investment in this preferred equity um, section of this project. And Mm -hmm. so there was a uh, 14% fixed annualized rate of return that we had negotiated. And so um, we essentially just got back our principal and we were refinanced out in this particular situation. So um, there had been a bunch of renovations going on. The sponsor had already successfully renovated and released 12 of the 41 units at rates that were actually 10% higher than our projected rents. So it was a really great win. Um, and and at that point in time, they had really seen um, enough um, renovations to, to successfully refinance us out at a lower rate. So it was good for the sponsor. It was good for us. That essentially was money just coming back to us. And so our goal typically when a project returns capital this early in the life cycle of the REIT, since we just launched the growth REIT last year and it acquired this asset within the past 12 months, mm-hmm. is we want to look to redeploy that capital. And uh, you know, our goal in the growth REIT is to maximize appreciation of your shares over time. So in contrast to the income REIT that's really focused on cash flow um, and is in more of that first priority position or that debt position where you are focused on just those fixed rates of return, the growth REIT really wants to maximize that long-term upside potential through growth of equity um, appreciation. And so um, we believe it's in the best interest of the REIT to try to reinvest those proceeds. Um, but, uh, you, you know, you might see um, some of that could paid out in dividends. Um, but, you know, hopefully we will be acquiring another asset soon. Cool. So that is that kind of the end goal with a lot of the properties in the growth REIT and other growth REITs is to have this type of event occur where it's, it's almost like a liquidation, a, a liquidity event of that specific property within the REIT? Yeah. I mean, it'll depend on an asset by asset basis, exactly how our exits play out, mm-hmm. um, particularly when you're dealing with equity ownership. So not preferred equity, but uh, common equity ownership those are typically longer term holds. And unless the property is actually sold or we get someone to take us out of our position, it's not just like a quick return of principal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, preferred equity and debt, you are more likely, you know, particularly if you're looking at, say, a land loan or something that might be a short term bridge loan to see that repayment happen fairly quickly. Um, but, you know, as I mentioned, ideally for the growth rate, we will be getting cash flow from underlying properties um, that are, you know, taking in rent. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we will see much like when you're purchasing a home, you want to see the appreciation and the value of your home over time. It, that's a similar goal to what we're aiming for with these properties that are in the growth rate. So. Uh, it really depends on the particular investment. Um, all of our REITs are expected to be roughly five-year holds, but we really want to make sure that we are exiting at a time that's most profitable. So going back to the home analogy, 
if for some reason, you know, we, we felt that uh, the value of the, the property wasn't where we wanted it to be exactly in five years, we might hold on to it for another year or so just to kind of make sure that we're exiting at the right time. Gotcha. And I guess that kind of covers part of another one of my questions, which was in the growth rate in Q3, I want to say there was a dividend distributed of about 8%. And then in Q4, it was less. And I'm guessing that has to do more around the decision of reinvesting those that free cash back into the fund and back into additional assets versus making a distribution. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, it's always, you know, anytime we're trying to tee up an asset acquisition, we need to keep cash on hand. And so we deemed this to be the best strategy to really maximize the long-term potential of the REITs, you know, through acquiring a new asset. We have already declared an approximate 5% annualized dividend for the first quarter of this year. Um, but in general, you know, in order to qualify as a REIT, you have to pass through at minimum 90% of your taxable income in a given year. And so while we might hold back one quarter, um, you know, to keep some cash on hand to fund an acquisition, over the course of the year, we need to meet that 90% requirement. And so, you know, dividends may sort of ebb and flow. Obviously, we try to keep them as consistent as possible, but it's definitely just sort of a normal part of, um, you know, particularly early phases of operations when you're when you're looking to acquire new assets. It's very normal for this to occur. Got it. And then just a follow-up on question on that 90%. So that 90% distribution, would that include distributions in cash dividend forms to the investors or could that 90% yeah. also include reinvestment into additional properties? Yeah. So that has to get paid out to investors through that quarterly dividend. And we typically are distributing quarterly dividends. That's really the goal. Okay. I understand. All right. Now in this, so I got into the REIT and growth, uh, I'm sorry, the incoming growth REIT, and now they're at full capacity. So I'm I'm very happy to have gotten in while, while the get was good. But is there any opportunity, you know, for me or other investors to be able to get into those in the future as potentially some of the current investors exercise their liquidity option? Or is are those things definitely maxed out with with uh, with opportunity to get in? Well, the, the short answer is not right now, but potentially maybe later. Um, the way that these REITs are set up we are maxed out at $50 million per REIT mm. per year in terms of how much we can raise. And so essentially we will have the option as time goes on to potentially file for additional capacity. We don't have any immediate plans to do so. Um, but you know, we could also have new income or new growth focused REITs as well. You know, we have three new REITs that are available on the platform right now, which are actually hybrids of debt and equity or income and growth, um, however you want to think about it. And so um, there's there's a couple of different ways that an investor who just wanted a debt focused product or just wanted an equity focused product focused product might get access at some point in the future. Now, so Johnny, my co-host, was trying to get into both the growth and re- income REIT about, I want to say in December, and the window was open to invest. But when he was trying to invest, the only option to get in was $1,000. And he's like, no, I want to, I don't want to do $1,000. I want to do more. Was that because the the REIT and fund were about to cap out at that $50 million, or was, was that for a different reason? Yeah, it, that's exactly right. We were trying to provide equitable access to the greatest extent possible mm-hmm. as we were nearing the end. And we continue to certainly see a lot of demand for those REITs. And um, a lot of it's due to the performance, and we're very happy with that. But um, we'll see. You know, it, it might be that we would open it up again where you might have the opportunity to invest larger check sizes. I think that's still yet to be determined. Mm-hmm. And can you give us an idea of how many people are investing or how many entities are investing in a REIT uh, re- just like the income or growth REIT? So in terms of the most recent numbers that we filed as of December of 2016, we had around 12,500 investors and the average 
um, investor account was around $15,000. Now those are platform numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and, you know, continuing to grow. So that was, you know, at the end of last year. Um, so that's kind of obviously not all of those people invested in one REIT versus another. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we certainly did see an enormous demand for both income and growth and continue to see that demand for our regional focused REITs as well. That's really cool. Cause I would imagine so many people would kind of tow in, you know, new investors, people are especially in, new to investing in REITs, they would invest, I think the minimum for these is $1,000. So I could, mm-hmm. I could see a lot of people trying that. So that 15,000 on average investment is, is pretty good. I guess that's a lot of people kind of towing in, seeing how it works and then, and then adding more funds to their investment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as we continue to offer new products and, and the ability for investors to diversify our investor base definitely has that mentality where they, you know, they try to mitigate risk by spreading out their their dollars over multiple different REITs, multiple different properties. You get different counterparty exposure. You're getting different exposure to different parts of the capital stack. So, um, you know, we, we've definitely seen that as well. Got it. Well, I guess that brings us to where we're currently at and what I could potentially invest in. So the growth REIT's capped, the income REIT is capped. I'm in both of those. So now it looks like there's there's more of these regional REITs, which are the West Coast, Heartland, and East Coast REIT. And last time we actually chatted, we talked about these, uh, but then the window opened up for the growth and income. So I just ended up putting more money in that. So mm-hmm. you know, what is there to know for, for someone like myself or anyone else interested in investing? How would you go about deciding which REIT to you know, to invest in? Like, do you, would you look at more of the fundamentals and more technical things about these things, like how they're valued? Or is it just like, hey, I like the East Coast. Let's invest in this one. I like the West Coast. Let's invest in this one. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And there, to answer it simply, there are a lot of different ways that our investors like to invest. I mean, when it comes to having the geographic exposure some people will invest in all three because they are a hybrid between debt and equity, as I mentioned earlier. And so investing in all three is a similar exposure to investing in the income and growth rates because mm-hmm. you're getting both a an income component and a growth component and you're spread out across the United States. Our income and growth rates were not regionally focused. Um, we definitely have people that just like investing close to home in what they know. So if they live on the East Coast, they might feel more comfortable investing on the East Coast because they think that they sort of have a good handle on uh, you know, what trends are going on there? Um, and, you know, they, they know the city is better. Uh, whereas other people might say, you know, I actually own a couple of investment properties on the East Coast and I have no exposure on the West Coast. So that's allowing me to get that diversification that I could not get easily elsewhere. So I think it depends on the type of investor you are. If you are somebody who is a very risk averse investor, None of our rates are for you. Um, if you are, you know, slightly on the more risk averse spectrum and you really are looking for a debt product, um, you know, maybe hold out for the next income rate. You know, we've seen mm-hmm. those, those that, that kind of um, request come in. But studies have shown that diversification is a tremendous uh, mitigator of risk. And so um, at the end of the day, you know, the, the individual assets that are within each REIT may change over time. As we discussed earlier, we've already had an asset payoff in the growth REIT. We, mm-hmm. we will be acquiring new assets. And so um, I think the most important thing, as is the case with any investment, is to really underwrite who is making the decisions and what they're doing to make those decisions. We have a very robust underwriting process for all of our deals. And so I've noticed many of our investors are really just buying into our investment strategy. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, they trust the due diligence that we do and they know that we are leaving no stone left unturned. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll do whatever we believe is, um, you know, in, in uh, the best interest of the REIT by, by trying to find solid, solid deals from really experienced sponsors. And just worth underscoring, we've talked about this on a few different episodes on in terms of risk with income, debt types of instruments versus equity instruments. And I just kind of want to echo that, that a income debt type of instrument is less risky because that's at the top of the capital stack, correct? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's think about it like a you know a, a line uh, you know to get into a nightclub. You're going to be better off at the front, or if it's a soup kitchen, you know you're going to mm-hmm. get the hottest, best soup at the front of the line. Uh, senior debt holders are at the front of the line, and uh, you know the equity basically gets whatever's left over. So um, you know the equity holder is the one who owns the soup kitchen, but they may not get any soup at the end um, if everyone else has taken it. So <laughs> you always want to be, you know, first. <laughs> right. And then, but also with the growth aspect and the equity aspect, there is, at least the perspective is there is a higher potential uh, growth element to it. Whereas right. if the capital, if the, the asset appreciates significantly, we could, you could have better returns and then also is there is there a tax advantage to that the way that these REITs are structured that you could potentially have capital gains versus uh what would it be 1099 or or uh, dividend ordinary income distribution yeah so you know for all of our REITs we expect that investors will receive a 1099 you're mm-hmm. right i mean in in um in some cases you know, an equity investment, there can be better, you know, more advantageous Mm -hmm. tax consequences. Um, You know, to my knowledge, this will likely be realized at the REIT level and will indirectly benefit our investors and investors will still be receiving dividends for the same reason I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. which is that there is, um, you know, that 90% threshold and distributions are not going to perfectly match our earnings in any given quarter for that reason. Um, but you know, definitely something to discuss with your CPA or, you know, someone who you are comfortable discussing your tax situation with. Makes sense. Cool. All right. And then I was looking at a bunch of these different REITs and I was wondering if over time, will some of these REITs end up like an income REIT end up investing in the same properties as one of the, the regional or growth REITs? So it's unlikely. I'm not going to say it would be completely impossible, mm-hmm. but um, for a number of reasons, it's not something that we've hit up against yet. You know, our income and growth had very different focuses as far as where they were in the capital stock. So that was pretty cut and dried. And now the regional uh, cutoffs are pretty, you know, straightforward as well. So obviously there would be a, we'd have a hard case arguing something in New York city was a West coast REIT asset. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we haven't had this problem before. I think for, uh, for diversification purposes, it's unlikely we would have that in the future. Okay. And then back to the, the regional REITs and stuff. You know, if, if someone was a little bit more technical and fundamental, not like myself, I kind of just picked these more, I guess more based on what you mentioned earlier, just kind of the trust in the underwriting process and your team and, and proficiencies. Uh, but if someone was more technical, what you know, and they wanted to choose a regional wreath based on where they thought the growth would be. So if they thought over the next decade, you know, in five to ten years, the West Coast was going to be hot, they wanted to to buy the West Coast REIT. You know, is there a way that you can see the value of the assets within the REIT and you know, and then again, going forward, as you invest in these REITs and these funds, you can kind of track the value of the assets within the REIT to see if they are in fact appreciating. Yeah. And and where we are right now, I should have mentioned, is that we are in what we call the ramp up period for our East Coast, Heartland and West Coast REITs. So that is where we are raising capital and deploying that capital just in time. And mm-hmm. so you can read a wealth of information about the assets that we have acquired to date on each offering page. So you can go to fundrise.com and click on the invest tab and then select the REIT. And we have a featured asset section and you can just click through the assets and read more about them. We even provide a risk rating on each of them. We also have published a wealth of geographical research in each of our offering circulars. So you can go to fundrise.com backslash OC and read more about the demographic trends that are happening, the major cities that we're focused on, what we like in each market, and get smart on, on each individual market that way. I Right now, all of the those three REITs are all trending in a similar direction. They've declared anywhere between eight and eight and a quarter percent annualized dividends for Q1 already. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when you say technical analysis, I always think about stocks. And the important thing to emphasize is that these are private, non-traded investments, and we are investing in 
very illiquid private real estate. And Mm -hmm. so it's, you know, we actually have a net asset value that after we're done with ramp up, we will be publishing on a quarterly basis that someone who invested in the East Coast, Heartland or West Coast would have the net asset value of their shares to get a sense of how the portfolio is performing. And there's a lot of factors that go into the net asset value. You know, we're looking at comps, um, any data we have on on any sort of similar properties in the area, and we're looking at how it's performing according to the original business plan or pro forma. Obviously, it will depend on you know if we're talking about ground of construction versus a stabilized cash flowing property, and so there's a lot of differences in each. But that net asset value will be the quarterly mark to market or or sort of value uh, that an investor can use to get an idea of how their investment is trending. And and the difficult thing for me to say right now is you know we can't predict the future. Mm-hmm. I think as much as we like to say. Well, you know, the demographic trends in this area are leading us to invest in multifamily. You know, we really and and I think we're seeing that across the United States, by the way. You know, it's uh, people are delaying starting families. They want to live in the city. Uh, You know, they're they're renting um, both condos and apartments. We are very much focused on in all phases of construction. So that's a constant. But, yeah, you never know. You know, we can't predict the future. So, um but but as I mentioned, there is a wealth of information on our website. So for someone who really does enjoy uh, digging into the details of the individual assets and the individual markets, we, we certainly have that there. I would be really curious to know how many people read that stuff because I, I definitely didn't. And I know Johnny invested some. I know he, de- he definitely didn't either. <laughs> I just wonder how many investors would actually you know read that stuff. Um, I'd be I'd just be curious. I don't I don't think you guys would probably have s- statistics on that. But um, yeah. and, and you know and, and the people that don't, they're of course just you know they're they're putting faith in in the under- underwriting service. And I guess like when I look at these things, I look at hopefully what the growth perspective is, what the, you know, what the dividend is kind of like you would look like at any single REIT out there. And in terms of risk with a growth REIT, I I, tell me if I'm wrong, but I would look at the risk just as the the largest risk is some type of, of global, or at least, uh, you know, North America housing issue like we had in 07 or 08 and, or when, if if renting became an issue, like if we were if we were to lose tenants, but mm-hmm. um, but in turn, if things remain steady or the economy grows, then all these should continue to do well. And if, if the economy does goes terrible, then there's a lot of other investments. Just about most other investments are going to have trouble as well alongside of that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think we we actually have seen a lot of investors come to our site because they look at our products like a low beta volatility dampener. And what I mean by that is... (laughs) Please explain. (laughs) sick of getting whiplash in the public market because there's bad news out of China or because of something going on in the presidential Mm -hmm. race. You know, it's like you just get exhausted from the volatility that is unrelated to the fundamentals of the investment that you own. Mm -hmm. And so one of the benefits, you know, obviously there are many drawbacks to a liquid investments that you're not publicly trading on an exchange on a regular basis. But one of the, the great benefits is that you are not seeing that volatility that is unrelated to the fundamentals. I think there's a lot of noise in the markets today. And so you're right. There's a lot of fundamental factors that will be local in some cases, but it's specific to the underlying assets. And so that's why we put so much stock in choosing developers and sponsors that are experts in their field and will navigate any sort of a downturn to the best of their ability that they can come out on top. And, you know, we see that all the time. You know, if there's something that they feel, you know, it's time to rebrand um, or, you know, there's some new marketing that they need to try to, you know, get more tenants in the door. Do they need to be doing tenant improvements? Um, You know, what can they do to improve the experience of, um, the tenants that they have. So those are people that we want to work with, um, you know, that are that are very smart and thinking about how they would navigate a downturn or, you know, an adverse event. I agree totally. I always tell a lot, a lot of, uh, I always mention a lot on our episodes that some of my favorite investments are my annuities, boring, old, 
contract annuities for two and a half percent interest, right? But right. I don't have to worry about the volatility. I get a statement at the end of the year that says I made two and a half percent. It's not that much, but I don't have to worry about checking the ups and downs of the market. It's like it's almost right. like I, I own a Vanguard re-index. This year it had like yes. a twenty-five percent up and down swing, all just right. to return like two and a half percent or something. Yeah, and it's like you know you don't need all that in your life, right? Um, well, it's exhausting. It's very I know. exhausting. You kind of have to close your eyes because yeah. it'll drive you crazy otherwise. Middle <laughs> of two thousand sixteen, I'm like a, I'm a genius. I, I picked the, pick the best <laughs> yeah. stock ever, and plus it's returning three and a half percent, and then it takes a total dive and is like my my worst performing fund, uh, and, and you know it's paying three and a half percent, or I can invest with in your guys' funds and make eight percent and sleep at night and not have to get um <laughs> you know not have to worry about what's happening on mad money. So yeah, yeah, I agree totally. I think there's a lot of value in that for for the everyday investor. Just just to, to take the emotional side out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, now, what like what are the typical holding? So these new funds, uh, the new regional funds, what's like the estimated holding period? I know there's a lot of variables that go into that, but if I'm going to invest in that and I want to see, I want to see it through to its its full maturity. You know, what can what should I expect to hold this for? Is it five years or more? Yeah, it's a, we say it's a roughly five year hold, and and we're not here to keep your money locked up forever. You know, I think we really want to make sure that we are maximizing value for our shareholders to the greatest extent possible, and that means exiting at a time that it's most profitable. Mm-hmm. Technically, that could mean prior to five years. It could mean a little after five years. You know, we have to kind of see how the market is. As I mentioned, we can't predict the future. But we have a quarterly redemption program in place just in case something happens. I think, you know, five years, it's hard for individual investors to predict what their lives are going to look like. And we know things come up, you know, sometimes you want to purchase a new home or whatever, and you need um, you need those funds. And so uh, we did adopt a quarterly redemption program for those that need it. Now, there are limitations around that as well. Um, so it is important to think about this as a long-term hold, but you know, in case something comes up, we've tried to account for that. And the decision to liquidate the fund and or assets within it are wholly, wholly made by you guys internally at Fundrise for the best interest of the fund holders, correct? Right, exactly. And so, you know, I think there's a number of ways that that could take place as well, um, but it will be up to the determination of the manager, which is, you know, fundraise. Gotcha. Okay. And would the income REIT and the growth REIT have different potential hold periods? Is the, the duration of the fund expected to be longer or shorter in either of those? We say five years for both. It's a very astute question because debt can be a little bit cut and dried and is, you know, a little more straightforward because there tends to be a maturity date and, um, you know, versus equity where it's more of a, you know, a wait and see and, and try to figure out what your options are later on, mm-hmm. um, because there is no set maturity date or fixed schedule. Um, but that being said, since the fund is going to involve potentially seeing assets pay off, acquiring new assets. We will try to get the timing around five years if we can for both. But I think it will vary on a fund by fund basis for all of our REITs because of the reasons I just mentioned. Okay, gotcha. And for the income REIT, the, you know, I, the, I'm wondering if, I think I know the answer to this actually, but would the income or distributions from the income REIT be more consistent than the ones of the growth rate? Yeah, we would expect so. I mean, with a debt product where there's a fixed rate of return, that's the expectation. And I think you've already seen that to date. I mean, the income rate has distributed quarterly dividends Mm -hmm. of somewhere between 10 and 11 and a quarter percent really over the past, you know, nine months. And that's been very consistent. Whereas you saw what happened with the growth rate last quarter where there was a dip in the 4Q dividend. Mm -hmm. So anytime you're dealing with equity, there is a little bit of unpredictability in terms of cash flow streams. And particularly when you're acquiring a new asset, it may take a lot of time to begin to generate cash flow. It depends on if you're acquiring a stabilized building, um, you know, where it is in terms of its uh, general phase of operations. Um, but it can take several years for an equity investment to begin cash flowing. And uh, there are no fixed rates of return. So I would 
certainly say that we would expect more variability on the growth side, but it has the same 90% distribution requirements as any REIT, as mm-hmm. I mentioned. So we do expect there will be some cash flow, but you know, and, and we're we're projecting roughly 8% annualized um, dividend moving forward. But that could be with a little bit of lumpiness. <laughs> I like the word lumpiness. Yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good. One. Well, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Yeah, great stuff. Okay, so I have one other question. I want to talk about some really exciting news that I recently received in my email about Funrise. But um, one quick question about the liquidity option. I know this is something that you guys. I think you introduced sometime in 2016, which I thought was really cool. Probably not that easy to put in place, but something I'm sure that gives a lot of confidence to you know investors and, p- and potential new investors. And that's the ability to get out of the fund. And I think it's every quarter. Can you explain just a little bit how that would work uh, if you wanted to do it short term or if you needed to get out at some some point in the future? Yeah, absolutely. There's a 90-day introductory period that we adopted, which you can kind of think about like an early return policy. So there's no penalty associated with redeeming your shares early if you decide you're unhappy within the first 90 days. And so you would essentially just write us a note at contact.fundrise.com and say, I want to be taken out and we'll send you the instructions on how to do that. There is a penalty of up to 3% after that 90 day window, which declines over time. And that gets paid into the rate to benefit the other shareholders. It's not any sort of a fee that we're collecting, but it's really not in the REIT's best interest if everyone is pulling out their funds all at once. And so, you know, the hope is if you've held on to your shares for three years, you know, hopefully by that point you've earned back whatever you're, you're forking over in terms of that, um, that, you know, uh, the penalty. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, hopefully you're coming, you're still coming out, um, you know, with a profit, but at the same time it's, um, it is there. So it's up to 3%. It declines. So, um, by year three, it's only a 2% penalty. It declines to a 1% penalty in years four to five. And then there is not a penalty after that. But we're actually restricted by the SEC that we cannot redeem more than 5% of our assets under management in a given year. Otherwise, it's considered a tender offer. So okay. that's the SEC's imposition. It's not ours. Um, so, you know, we, we do our best. And thankfully, we haven't come up against that 5% threshold yet. So it hasn't been a problem. But um, once again, this policy is really meant to be there for people who really need the, their funds. And mm-hmm. it's not meant to be something that you go in thinking about our product as a short term trade. Yeah. Uh, the way I looked at it, which I like you described, I think makes a lot of sense is if you have to pay that penalty, but you've held the fund for two years, then you should have right. easily cleared enough money and distributions to to accommodate that and still walk away with a profit. Right, right. Yeah. So we think that it's fair. Um, I think, you know, up to 3% when we're paying out, you know, somewhere between, you know, anywhere from five to, a, you know, 10 and a half percent annualized dividend this quarter for our REITs. So, don't, you know, we think those are pretty good returns. Don't cut, don't cut yourself short. I think it was 11.34 on the income growth, uh, on the income REIT. Yeah, it was 11 and a quarter last um, last quarter for um, for income. Yeah. Love that. Love that. And then, so if you were to redeem your shares, would that that would be you would get money your principal back based on the nav or based on what you paid in mm-hmm. yeah so essentially i mean and this is the case at the end of the life of the investment too it's just like a stack where you know you're getting back the number of shares that you own multiplied by the net asset value so if the net asset value is $11 per share uh, lucky you, you know, you mm-hmm. bought at 10, you're getting them back at 11, you made that extra dollar. So um, it, it behaves much like you would look at selling a stock that you had purchased at a mm-hmm. certain price and then sold at another price. Um, that's that's generally how that works. Awesome stuff. Okay, cool. Well, we have some exciting news from Fundrise, or at least you have some exciting news that I was privy to learn just a couple, about a week ago when I was on a train ride from Florida to California and I was reading it on Amtrak as we were crossing the big boring state of Texas. And that is that you guys just had an IPO or that you have an upcoming IPO? Yeah, so we felt that we were ready to take the next step with our investors and basically adopted the Vanguard model of offering out our stock 
to our investors who have been with us and really, you know, believed in us and supported us over the years. And so we, at this point, what we had filed for roughly $10 million to offer through our uh, first ever internet public offering. And we were approximately 50% oversubscribed. So we have actually filed with the SEC to hopefully be able to offer additional shares as well. Uh, but it was just absolutely tremendous demand. We you know, sold out of that initial um, 10 million within 24 hours. And I think it's a real testament to uh, to to the brand and to the support that our investors have shown for us and um, and and for the growth and momentum that we've seen so far. I think in the past couple of years, we've really just seen uh, product market fit with with these REITs. I think so many investors have really had this resonate with them. We we try to keep fees very low. You know, we've reduced um, any sort of or we try to get rid of the middleman altogether and try to reduce any sort of expenses and. Um, and, you know, the returns, knock on wood, have been strong. And so I think um, this is just sort of the next step in that continued momentum. That's incredible. It just also shows you the power of the Internet and email and communication tools because you guys sent out information on it. And then two days later, it was like you can invest now and boom, it's it's already oversubscribed. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, no, it, it really it really was. I think we were just very excited by all of the support mm-hmm. and um, very happy for what this means for the future. And what's, what's the next step in that, Kendall? Is it you actually have the, the IPO and then, you know, you're, you're publicly listed at that point? So our goal is sort of a three to five year time frame for an exit. And there's a number of ways that a private company can exit. It can be through public listing on, a, on an exchange. It could be a merger and acquisition. I think ideally it would be through listing on a public exchange, but we don't have any immediate plans to do so. So this is helping to fuel our continued growth and the momentum that I mentioned. And so that can mean introducing new products, continuing to offer new REITs and just bringing a better experience to our our customers and, um, you know, really boosting that share price appreciation. I mean, as an employee, I own the same shares with the same economic interest mm-hmm. as those who purchase shares online. And so we're all, all of our interests are very much aligned. Got it. Makes sense. So well, hopefully you guys can get outfitted with a couple of foosballs tables in that Washington <laughs> DC office of yours. I know, I know Ben said originally it was no, no thrills. You guys are lean, mean, and they, uh, an e-reap machine, I guess, oh, for lack of better words. We, we are. Yeah, we, we keep things very cheap here. I'll tell you. I mean, if look at, I'm not kidding. We've delivered something like 5,000% growth since April of 2014. And we've only grown our employees from 12 to 43. <laughs> um, but it's great. You know, I think we, we really have very much embedded in our DNA, staying very frugal and um, keeping our costs as low as possible, which is how we're able to pass through, um, you know, fewer fees to our investors. So that will continue. Well, hey, when, 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 the, when they got all stars like you, they don't need to improve headcount that much. Oh, well, yeah, they keep me busy. <laughs> you're, you're, sure. de- you're definitely a boss, <laughs> Kendall, for sure. Definitely a boss. But thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on and answering a lot of these questions. I think this is really informative and in a, in a great way for people to digest a lot of their own questions that they may uh, they may have questions about. And sometimes, you know, we find people are just tentative to to reaching out and ask those some of those more elementary fundamental questions. So we're glad to be able to, you know, to record this and, and share it with all the listeners. So appreciate it again. Yeah, absolutely. And always feel free to reach out. You know, we're at fundrise.com and you can send us a direct email to contact at fundrise.com or investments at fundrise.com. We're always happy to answer any questions via email, set up a call, you name it. Sounds great. So we'll be sure to include all the links and information in the show notes and feel free to hit up Kendall at email and she'll be happy to answer any of your questions as well. So Kendall, thanks. And we'll uh, we'll look forward to talking and hearing more from you guys soon. Sounds great. All right. Thanks for having me, Sam. Man, I'm really glad you got Kendall Davis on the, sh- the show to talk about that because it's these are the questions that I've been wanting to ask and I'm sure a lot of people listening wish they can just call in, which I guess they can, right? I mean, isn't that how you, you two connect in the first place? Yeah, good point. So originally I was emailing some, you know, two or three questions at a time. And I'm like, you know, I every time a question is answered, I get more questions. It's just my nature. So I actually called them out of the blue and end up talking to Kendall and had, you know, a 30, 40 minute conversation with her. And I was like, wow, that was, that was an amazing conversation. I wish I'd recorded that. And then that was four or five months ago. So this was 
very you know similar conversation with a lot more a lot more detailed questions follow-up questions so yeah that was awesome i mean she's awesome yeah and the questions that i wanted you to answer as well so you kind of saved me an hour of trying to email in or call in and it's cool that they actually take the time to talk to their investors and answer all the questions uh, but i think having that you know podcasts like this where they come on and they're just like very candidly answering questions it's not like this um you know like five minute fox news segment where you know they only talk about like the like the best things, you know, mm-hmm. we're asking, you know, we're asking them pretty hard questions that they have to just, you know, and, and they're, they're happy to answer just openly. I think it's great too. And I think it's a mark of a young, smart and innovating company to be able to have multiple people come on to these episodes. I mean, Fundrise has had two awesome people that came on the CEO plus Kendall. I'm sure they have more that would make great guests on the show. But you know, if you reach, I've re- reached out to public re- companies, they're, they're like, it's horrible. Like the, the interaction's horrible. And like, they don't even have anyone that they would want to put up for a guest or in the, and their email communication is just horrible. So it's great to see these young, smart, innovative companies that are willing to put multiple people up showing they have depth in their company to come in and, and provide value for our listeners. Yeah. And I, and I definitely 100% agree with that. And I think that's kind of the new, the new trend, right? Because mm-hmm. when, you know, like when you when you tweet at the airline, they have to reply now. While before, uh, they would just ignore you. They yeah. like they have to reply, and I think it's going to be the same with big banks. I mean, how many people have had terrible experiences with like you know PayPal or like a big b- bank, and they just can't get anyone on the phone, or they do? It's some low level person in India that might not know have any authority or know what they're talking about, uh, or you there's no email address at all to even contact in. And same with a lot of big, you know, like kind of standard investments. Like I can't even imagine trying to call or email a mutual fund. <laughs> oh and, man! Yeah, can you- <laughs> yeah, dude. Did you see my PayPal rant recently on Facebook? I've I've hit them like three times. Uh, they still won't respond. But I've yeah. been my my PayPal account's been blocked for two and a half months now. And you, wow. it's impossible to get through anyone. Like they shouldn't even be in business. That's r- crazy. But then when you have an awesome experience with someone like Fundrise, and the, and there's lots of other ones. We just recorded in a fantastic episode with Betterment with their their financial behavior uh, director. Like when you get on with these companies and you you get quick responses for complicated questions, it's it just goes a long way. And especially now in, in a days when customer service crap has become like the standard especially in north america yeah i I definitely agree and you know what i think we should put a call out there for people to try to find alternatives to paypal whether it's using dwala or like some kind of you know online transfer system Mm -hmm. i i think we are kind of feeding the problem with just having people pay us through paypal store you know (laughs) we pay people through paypal yet we hate them and we complain it's true. So true. So true. I bet Elon Musk is just grimacing every day when he gets up and sees a headline about PayPal, knowing that was pretty much a platform that he created and he developed and what has become of PayPal since eBay bought it however many years ago, 15 yeah. years ago or something. But enough about PayPal, <laughs> more about Fundrise. <laughs> yeah, luckily, I mean, seriously, luckily, it's, you know, one of these kind of relatively new companies that have not only really smart people, but transparent people, people, you know, gen- genuine, like real human beings that want to help and want to share information. So if you guys haven't heard the episode with the CEO of Fundrise, Ben Miller, take a listen to episode 12 because you're going to learn so much more about what real estate investing with Fundrise actually is. And you'll kind of hear me and Sam both, you know, why we decided to both invest into them. Yeah. So actually that was a a typo on my part in the intro. I said it was episode 13, but it is episode 12. And that, like Johnny said, initially very pivotal moment in our investing careers. So we started really paying attention to these new modern platforms, these kind of alternative investment vehicles. So what, what's your investment history been with Fundrise? You, you've done two investment tranches with them, correct? Yeah. So I've invested in both their income rate and their growth rate. I think I started mm-hmm. with the income, uh, which, you know, I like the idea of it just because it's, it's, you know, more of just a, a quarterly payment versus the growth rate is more designed where you hold, you know, you kind of hold on to it for five or six years before you really get a big payout from it. And, but at the same time, the reason why I wanted to invest more into the growth rate is because I wanted the potential upside of mm. owning real estate. So one of the reasons why I own a, own commercial properties, you know, maybe an apartment building or something, 
is not just to get the you know maybe up to ten percent monthly you know profit from it, but also mm-hmm. to have my money go into equity and be able to potentially have an upside if the real estate market grows. Yeah, I'm totally in line with you. The only reason I invested in the income REIT was just because it was so attractive at 11 and a quarter percent uh, quarterly. So I actually just, you know, I just looked at my portfolio. I forgot I actually invested. So I have basically 45% in the income REIT, 45% in the growth REIT alongside of you. And then I have about 10% in this, it was like this private, it's like private deal that came through about seven or eight months ago when both the income and growth were full. And I was like, yeah, I want to invest more in Fundrise. So I, I did that, but it's um, it's not one I don't think many other people have seen before. I'll, I'll share a screenshot with it in the show. It's pretty cool, but I'm not paying much attention to it because it's so small relative to the other two. Well, I've logged into my account and it looks like I've only invested $7,000 total, even though I've been trying to invest more. And what had happened mm-hmm. was... Both their income and growth rates, as as kind of kind of explained in the episode, they just got so popular that they just limited people. Say like, okay, you can you can invest us a thousand, but that's that's it. And I wanted just to like dump some money in there because it's it's it seems like a you know it's a good place to have potential. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, it's it, those are both sold out now. So if you guys haven't actually looked inside what's available, you can go to investlikeaboss.com slash fundrise. And what that does is I think the deal is still happening where they let you kind of skip the queue because there's a long wait list to get in because there's just not as many. There's not enough um, like investments for them to even sell people. They have so many people who are interested. So I remember mm-hmm. Ben gave us that special link. Uh, so if you guys want to check it out, you can use that. But it's... It's been fun, but I, I honestly kind of wish that it was there was more income and growth rates because it's just they're so easy to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was just looking through, and did you have any other questions like that came out of that episode, like, or did you did, did that kind of clear up everything? Because there's maybe two other questions that I'm still a little fuzzy on, but I wanted to see if you, there was anything that that you was still unclear for you. I think I kind of figured out. I, I think my biggest question would be, and maybe this is something for Fundrise to answer, but something someone can answer in the boss lounge. But mm-hmm. what would the pros and cons of me, let's investing directly into, let's say, a commercial um, apartment building versus having my money in something like Fundrise, either through their probably through their growth rate, because that's that's more of the the equity side of it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure there's there's uh, some upsides, and there's definitely going to be some downsides of it. Yeah, good question. That's a good debate, actually. Like we could put, almost put together a matrix of the pros and cons of doing both, and certainly, certainly there would be pros and cons of yeah. of doing either either style of investment. Well, I mean, definitely, definitely a, a pro of me going through a service like Fundrise is I'm letting them manage everything, including the manager. So, like, if I was going to own my own apartment building, even if I had a manager taking care of it, I start to manage that manager, and if they somehow start messing up or they, you know, stop doing their job. I have to find another manager, even though I might be traveling somewhere else in the world. Like I'm in Bali right now. Like if something went wrong with the people kind mm-hmm. of overseeing that apartment building, whether it's the maintenance guy, the house cleaner, the, the land, you know, the, um, the property manager, what would, mm-hmm. would I just fly back to the U S to hire someone else? Or would I just fly, you know, hire, hire someone blindly online or just maybe, skip having income for three months it's it's there's definitely a lot of downsides of owning the the property yourself yeah it can get really messy i don't know if i told you about my it was about in the fall i had a big scare you know i invested in the self-storage business in hong kong so not actually in the business but we own two premises in in uh, hong kong about 350 self-storage mm-hmm. uh units and the building not our building but the building right next to our building caught fire and the floor is six through 14 completely lost and wow. it's the exact exact same style building as ours exact same builds built the same year i mean total duplicate right and it was a self-storage company who wh- where the fire started and i was like so what wh- wh- like what happened in that case and there and he's like well the, there's only insurance of x and the damages are y you know plus 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 and 
you know, the truth is, is like, if it was our building, we would have lost tons. Like the insurance wow. just didn't cover it. And it just gets you thinking. It's like that to me was my safest investment. It's like a physical piece of property in an industrial building, not like, you know, kids are running around it or anything. And, you know, that was like the, the safe, safe thing. And then something like that happens, it just totally opens your eyes. That is so crazy. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that wasn't your building, you know, knock on wood. Sorry for whoever mm-hmm. was next door to you, but that yeah. just kind of goes and shows because I mean, it's not that that can't happen with the buildings, you know, that we invest in, you know, either through Fundrise or something else, but at least that wouldn't be my headache. That you know, is I, a very good way to say it. Yeah. Especially yeah. with us being kind of out, out of t- <laughs> location independent and in, in different areas. And like you said, different time zones, not necessarily having immediate contact to managers and stuff. It's just a headache that I don't, yeah, you know, I have. I don't necessarily have right now, but I'm. I really am not looking to do any more of that type of stuff in the near future. Yeah, and definitely, you know, being be able to diversify online through Fundrise and Pure Street and all the other kind of uh, online vehicles that we use, it allows us to have ten grand in one, ten grand in another, mm-hmm. ten grand in this deal, <laughs> a couple grand here, a couple grand there. So, yep. if one does catch fire, literally, and they, you know, it somehow goes to zero or the insurance doesn't cover the cost of it. At least we're only screwed along with, you know, 10,000 other people who each put in a thousand dollars versus us personally losing, you know, everything or big, big part of our nest egg. Yeah, definitely. So the other cool news that came out of Funrise was this IPO. And I wasn't sure about this. Even after the episode, I was still kind of unclear what the IPO was, but what I figured out was that it's not an IPO per se. It's going live on the Dow Jones or or NASDAQ or anything like that. What it is, is it's their initial public offering, which is actually them selling shares of their company to, you know, to the kind of their private network. So, uh, so I had a question in, um, to Kendall in the episode that was basically like, you know, when are you going IPO? But it actually wasn't that. They, were, they, they sold private shares in their company to investors that have been investing through them, just like you and me. And then, uh, and then they are now owners of that company. And then if Fundrise does well in the future, maybe they have a liquidity event of like an actual IPO on one of the major exchanges or, you know, they could be acquired or whatever else, then everyone would benefit. So I thought that was pretty cool. It's a cool way that they got, they got a lot of people, like they said, um, they kind of followed the Vanguard model. They got a lot of people that were kind of ambassadors and investors of Fundrise to become shareholders and, and um, be part of the company's success. I, th- I think that's very cool. Uh, I like that that model a lot. Uh, any, I, I don't know if I'm going to be investing in them or any other kind of IPO. Um, mm-hmm. It's just not my strategy. Like at least at least in 2017, definitely not my strategy. What What are your thoughts? Uh, well, first, I think I missed it because <laughs> <laughs> it filled up in like 24 hours. I got an email. I was literally on a train across the country with limited uh, Wi-Fi and internet, and yeah, it filled up. If they, I think they said they sold ten million dollars worth of shares, and that was it. So it. Like was happened, and they announced it. And that, man, that shows how powerful like just email marketing is, and then also <laughs> you know <laughs> networks nowadays. But it it was j- literally just one email that they sent out, and it filled up. Wow. I mean, it's it's really powerful. You know what? Second second thought, maybe we missed out, but it's too late now. <laughs> so let's off the charts. Yeah. And guys, anyone who had listened to the last episode, episode 42 with Key, uh, Key Trang Ho, we talked about dividend investing. And at the end, we were actually surprised to hear that she's also investing in Fundrise. I think she also said she's investing in Realty Mogul as well. But that was pretty cool to just randomly have, be kind of having a conversation with someone and they also invested in Fundrise, which we kind of thought we were, you know, maybe just two guys that I kind of figured it out and brought it to the attention of others. But then there's clearly some other people um, that have a, a, a keen eye for opportunity as well. Yeah, definitely. So if you guys are not part of the Boss Lounge yet on Facebook, please join it, just Boss Lounge. And in there, we can discuss, you know, what we personally invest in, you know, questions. Uh, and maybe we just talk to other, not only um listeners of the show so you guys can kind of talk to each other but you can also reach out to a lot of the guests that have been on and i think that's a really cool it's a good way to share your 
you know, your ups and downs and your statuses and our lessons learned. So I just put a big lesson learned in there about, you know, how I started just a few years ago and all, all the, all the kind of embarrassment of just not knowing anything about investing and how far we've all come. Uh, so definitely sign up for that. You can go to investlikeaboss.com. And if you click on bonus, put in an email address, you'll get an invite to the group. And also on there, you will have a, um, an offer where you can basically send in a screenshot of your review of Invest Like a Boss for a chance to win a $25 gift card each and every month as kind of a thank you for you guys supporting the show and taking a moment just to log into the clunky iTunes app and leave a review of the show if you liked it. So I want to give away a $25 gift card to Chris B, who wrote best podcast ever. First off, I really dislike anything related to Apple, but Johnny and Sam provide so much value through this podcast that I finally broke down and installed iTunes and set up account just to leave this review. I read a number of investment books and listened to some radio shows over the past 10 years and felt like I was just stuck in the grind with everyone else leaving my money in stocks and ETFs and drawing meager returns. Then I found this podcast and it really opened up a new world of possibilities. There's so many modern and alternative investment opportunities out there. Don't skip any episodes because each one provides a valuable insights. Johnny and Sam are regular guys asking CEOs the kinds of questions we all want to know. So, this this was one of the, the nicest <laughs> reviews anyone's ever left. Thank mm-hmm. you, Chris, for actually installing itunes just leave us a review yeah chris that was awesome i think i'm actually going to print that and put it above my mirror so if i'm ever having a bad day i'm just going to look at it up at that and get a little bit more confidence yeah please do all right everyone (laughs) thank you so much for listening and we will see all of you next week bye-bye thanks for listening to the best like a boss podcast join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.